So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this beautiful day, this 25th of December, it's Christmas Day. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present this special program today, the special podcast even. Shane Ambrose, how are you? I'm not too bad, John. How are we doing? Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to yourself. Got all the little jobs lined up for the rest of the day, Shane? In terms oh, of... even, we won't even go there now, John. <laughs> okay, so, well, this is wherever you are. Hope you're going to enjoy this beautiful day, and I hope you had a good Advent. In the meantime, we want to especially welcome those listeners, especially today, those lists of us, uh, those of our listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling. On this special day for them, I hope there's somebody going to be around, whether it be neighbours or relations or friends, to support them today. We'll certainly remember you in our prayer, and thank you indeed for sharing in our podcast today. Just a reminder again that our podcast does include each week. Uh, podcast includes interviews on faith topics, inspirational music, and reflection on the Sunday Gospel. Today, actually, our program is going to our podcast is going to include um, various reflections from some of our guests that we've had on over the last year, uh, and will also, of course, include reflection on the Sunday Gospel. To catch back any of our podcasts, if you wish, you come and see inspirations.buzzspread.com. Just Google Come and See Inspirations. You'll find us there. Sakerspace102.blogspot.com. And, of course, we do have a presence on Facebook. Uh, come and See Inspirations. If you want to contact us, please do so. Email us on comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now, Shane, I don't think we have any saints uh, to to record for the week. But no, so we covered we covered the liturgical odds and ends on the podcast for the fourth Sunday of Advent, which was yesterday, which was Christmas Eve. So I'm not proposing that we go through it again, except just to mark, just to acknowledge, of course, that with Christmas and Christmas Day, we are into the uh, the the octave of of Christmas, and of course, Christmas time <clears throat> is a very you know special time in many sense, obviously for families and all the rest of it, but also I suppose for liturgically, it's an important one in terms of just the two key events, the two key hinges of the liturgical year. One is around, you know, the, the incarnation. And then, of course, Easter is about the, the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I thought it was just interesting, John. I'm going to read out um, what is the proclamation of Christmas. Okay. And it's the first listing in the Roman Martyology for the 21st of December. And it's a proclamation of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. And it's in some countries or in some places, it's used before at the beginning of Midnight Mass or also it can be included for Vespers is is also appropriate liturgically. So the 25th day of December, after the passage of countless centuries from the creation of the world, when in the beginning God created heaven and earth and formed man in his own image, and very many centuries from the time when after the flood the Almighty had set his bow in the clouds, a sign of the covenant and of peace. In the 21st century, from the migration of Abraham, our father in faith, from Ur of the Chaldees. In the 13th century, from the departure of the people of Israel from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. In about the 1,000th year from the anointing of David as king, according to the prophecy of Daniel. In the 194th Olympiad. In the 752nd year from the foundation of the city of Rome. In the 42nd year of the rule of Caesar Octavian Augustus, while the whole world was at peace, Jesus Christ, eternal God and Son of the eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his most gracious coming, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit, and when nine months had passed after his conception, is born as man in Bethlehem of Judah from the Virgin Mary, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the flesh. I just think it's a nice way to put it up. Sure, thank you very much, Dave, for that. Yeah. 
And maybe to follow that, we might just take our first reflection today and again thank our, our own bishop here in Limerick, Bishop Brendan Leahy, for recently coming in and sharing us um, a lovely uh, reflection. I think it was centred around the crib. So let's listen to, Father, to, to Bishop Brendan, share his reflection and also his choice of music. Well, 800 years ago this day, St. Francis of Assisi arranged the first crib in Greccio in central Italy. Francis was a very practical man. He realised that we need to see, we need to hear, we need even to smell something before it can really enlighten our minds and ignite our hearts. So he arranged for the crib to be made ready with hay, an ox and a donkey and real living people. It is said that Soon, many arrived with candles and torches, standing, looking at this crib and singing hymns, praising God and feeling a wonderful, moving atmosphere of peace invading their soul. Of course, the idea of the crib, as we know, soon took off and there were cribs all over the world developing in different shapes and sizes and designs, depending on the local cultures. It was said that the hay used by Francis, miraculously acquired the power to cure local cattle diseases and pestilences. Perhaps that explains the tradition that some people have today during the Christmas season of coming to the church, visiting the crib and taking away a piece of the straw home with them. 800 years ago. The tradition is still going strong. The crib is indeed a living gospel that speaks to our heart, our mind and our soul. So let's take time today to look at the crib. But why not on this 800th anniversary think of ourselves as a living crib, our family, our lives. We're not perfect, we know that. But by trying to live the gospel together, loving one another, we can be something of that living crib with Jesus among us. Yes, let's look at the crib today. Let the crib speak to our heart with words that maybe are deeper than we can manage to say, especially if we're coping with challenges at this time that seem too much for our mind to grasp. What does the crib tell us? Well, it tells us we're not alone in a world grown cold, that the incarnate God has really come very, very close to us. God is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. The crib tells us that we can lift up our hearts and be enchanted by something greater than our possessions, than our world, than our plans, than our limitations. It tells us that God loves us with a love that is tender, compassionate, consoling. In the crib, indeed, we see a revolution of tenderness. The crib tells us that God has a human heart. He understands the situations we're living in, situations of need, fragility, vulnerability. The crib also tells us, of course, that God has entered into our world through the experience of being marginalised and homeless, that God took his first human steps as a refugee and migrant. The crib tells us that God is there for us now so that we can talk to him about the people and situations about whom we're concerned. 
He wants to share our expectations, our hopes, our concerns. And as we look at the crib, we see Mary, Jesus' mother. She's our mother too, gently encouraging us to treasure in our hearts the gift of faith, looking out for the positive around us with eyes of faith. And then look at Joseph, if we want to see how to love with a father's heart. Yes, looking at the crib, we can invite the Holy Family into our home, into our daily routine of meals and chatting, rest and caring for others, especially when there are worries. And at a time when we see so many weapons being used and so many violent images on our communications media, the crib's image of peace reminds us we are made for peace, that our soul is crying out, never again war. The crib tells us that in the hectic rhythm of life, we need to pause and contemplate. It's when we stop and pray, we realise what really matters in life. The crib is a chance to open the door of our hearts and say, Jesus, welcome, come in. But you know, if we love one another, we can have Christmas every day. We can be a living crib, the nativity sign, the nativity scene spreading throughout the world through us. So we thank Bishop Brendan for sharing that Christmas Day reflection with us. And to finish, Bishop Brendan requested that we play the Wexford Carol. Good people all this Christmas time Consider well and bear in mind What our good God for us has done In sending His beloved Son With Mary holy we should pray To God with love this Christmas day In Bethlehem upon that morn There was a blessed Messiah born the night before the happy tide, the noble virgin and her guide were a long time seeking up and down to find a lodging in the town. But Did appear 
which put the shepherds in great fear. Prepared on go, the angel said to Bethlehem, be not afraid, for there you'll find this happy morn, a princely babe, sweet Jesus born. With thankful hearts and joyful mind, the shepherds went the babe to find. And as God's angels had foretold, they did our Savior Christ behold. Within Attending on the Lord of life Who came on earth to end all strife In faith and hope whatever befall We'll wait in peace His holy So one of the traditions we have on the podcast, which we've had for a number of years, is that we play our a recording of Christmas Childhood by Patrick Kavanagh. So this morning's one, we're actually being very bold. We're going to rob a recording from uh, RTE. And it is Vincent Brown actually reading, uh, reading the poem A Christmas Childhood by Patrick Kavanagh. A reading A Christmas Childhood. One side of the potato pits was white with frost. How wonderful that was, how wonderful. And when we put our ears to the paling post, the music that came out was magical. The light between the ricks of hay and straw was a hole in heaven's gable. An apple tree with its December glinting fruit we saw. O you, Eve, were the world that tempted me to eat the knowledge that grew in clay and death the germ within it. Now and then I can remember something of the gay garden that was childhood's. Again, the tracks of cattle to a drinking place, a green stone lying sideways in a ditch, or any common sight, the transfigured face of a beauty that the world did not touch. My father played the melodeon outside at our gate. There were stars in the morning east, and they danced to his music. Across the wild bogs his melodeon called to Lennons and Callens. As I pulled on my trousers in a hurry, I knew some strange thing had happened. Outside in the cowhouse, my mother made the music of milking. The light of her stable lamp was a star, and the frost of Bethlehem made it twinkle. A water hen screeched in the bog. Mass-going feet crunched the wafer ice on the potholes. Somebody wistfully twisted the bellows wheel. My child poet picked out the letters on the grey stone, in silver the wonder of a Christmas townland, the winking glitter of a frosty dawn. Cassiopeia was over Cassidy's hanging hill. I looked, and three wind bushes rode across the horizon, the three wise kings. 
An old man passing said, Can't he make it talk? The melodian. I hid in the doorway and tightened the belt of my box-pleated coat. I nicked six nicks on the doorpost with my penknife's big blade. There was a little one for cutting tobacco, and I was six Christmases of age. My father played the melodian, my mother milked the cows, and I had a prayer like a white rose pinned on the Virgin Mary's blouse. So now we can take our uh, second reflection from, from our guests, from one of our guests today. Uh, Jen Mellett joined us quite a bit during the year. Jen, of course, as, um, as most of our listeners will know, at this stage works for Trocra, very much into caring for the earth and the environment and really encourages us at all to keep on striving to do what we should to take care of those who maybe can't take care of themselves. But we're delighted that Jane joined us there recently and again shared her reflection uh, for this year around the Christmas season and also her choice of music. So listen to Jane. During these Christmas weeks, those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere tend to hibernate. The earth has tilted away from the sun and even though the winter solstice has passed on the 21st of December, the days are still dark and quiet. The earth rests and even our attention is drawn inwards. Many people find winter difficult. Indeed, with very little sunlight and cold weather, it can be a tough time. But it is also during these weeks that Christians celebrate something amazing. God entering into humanity, putting on skin and living among us as a full human person in a way that we still find hard to put into words. Jesus, a Palestinian Jew, born into a homeless family in an animal shelter in a remote part of the Roman Empire, is marginalized from the very beginning of his story. Yet he is someone who's transformed history and who continues to transform our lives today. Some 2,000 plus years later, our own daily routines are put on pause this time of year by the arrival of Christmas and this good news of great joy as we read in Luke's Gospel. We read the story of the shepherds in this Christmas story. We're invited to step out of our everyday life with its challenges and worries and like the shepherds, go now to Bethlehem to meet this child Jesus in the manger in all his newness and human vulnerability. As we celebrate God with us, marking the birth of the child Jesus in Bethlehem, we also know that Bethlehem is in our news feeds today for very different reasons as we watch the horrific situation of the people of Palestine. There is conflict in many parts of our world this Christmas. As Troker's Christmas gift campaign reminded us, there are 450 million children currently living in conflict zones around the world. This is a huge injustice. Our world can feel increasingly uncertain, dark and frightening. We cannot escape the daily news of war, famine, hateful attacks on minorities, worrying news about our climate and biodiversity crises. And while it's important to be engaged, the bad news can leave us feeling anxious about the future and about the security of ourselves and our loved ones. In times of trouble, in our own lives and in our world, the Christmas story reminds us that God is still with us. God gets involved in our world. God does not abandon us. The child Jesus is born into a situation of poverty, 
a situation where his family are forced to flee to a foreign land for safety. The child Jesus begins his time in this world on the margins as a refugee. It is into this mess that God is born. And so it is for us today. God moves into the messiness of life, into all the harrowing struggles of our world. Then and now God is born in our joys and in our sorrows. God is with us. This is what these Christmas days invite us to contemplate and to celebrate. Emmanuel. Christ is born again each year in our hearts if we can make room for him there and in our world if we can look with awareness in the ordinary places. Dorothy Day said, It is no use to say that we're born 2,000 years too late to give room to Christ. Christ is always with us, always asking for room in our hearts. And the author Joyce Rupp notes that Jesus gave few material things to people in the Gospels. What he gave the most of was his personal presence, gifts that were the treasures of the heart, belief in oneself, inner healing, peace of mind, compassion, forgiveness, dignity and justice. Christmas invites us to give space to experience this loving presence so that it may live on in us and be the central focus of our gift giving to others. Healing peace, compassion, forgiveness, justice. Perhaps this season we can really be present to those who need it most, to those who are suffering, to those we love, to God's creation, but also to what gives us hope. This hope of the Christmas season is an act of hope. It's found in our actions, all those little things we do in our daily lives, which have a ripple effect across our families and our communities. In Laudato Si, Pope Francis calls these actions the little ways of love. And he says, never underestimate their power. They can be intense spiritual experiences that have a ripple effect across a community. As we watch out for these little ways of love in the world around us, these are signs of God's presence in our world, in the everyday, ordinary actions for good that are all around us. If we pay attention, we might become more aware of God's presence constantly birthing in the hidden places of our world, in ourselves and in the people around us. The singer Nick Cave said, The luminous and shocking beauty of the everyday is something I try to remain alert to, it tells me that despite how corrupt we are told humanity is and how degraded the world has become, it just keeps on being beautiful. It can't help it. So as we light the white candle on the Advent wreath Christmas morning, let us remember what it represents. The peace, unity and hope for which the world desperately longs. The invitation to be homemakers of love in a world of change. And the song or piece of music I've chosen to go with this reflection is from the piano guys, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
So again, we thank we thank Jane Jane Mallet for sharing her reflection with us there recently. Another one of our guests that came in and joined us uh, this year to give us his reflection is Chris O'Donnell, Father Chris O'Donnell from the Diocese here in Limerick. For the case, I thought he gave us a, a lovely little uh, reflection all around the messiness of Christmas. I thought it was lovely, and again, follow this up with his choice of music uh, entitled "Slow Down." So let's listen to Father Chris. Well, John, I'd always go every Christmas, particularly as a, a priest when you're trying to preach uh, and you're wondering what's left to say, you know. But I, I'm always surprised that every Christmas, largely something different might strike us in the Christmas story. And thank God for it, because I suppose God is unchanging and always new. So there'll always be something new in God's word and God's story if we sit with it enough or thankfully if you get struck over the head by the Holy Spirit enough as well. So for me, this Christmas, it's unusual, but the word mess is is for me the messiness of Christmas and the messiness of our lives, you know, and I suppose we often have this image of the perfect Christmas ads are all full of perfect Christmases and even we have this nostalgic sort of image of the first Christmas and we know it wasn't perfect but we still have it cosy you know we still have it you know the baby Jesus is warm and you know all this so uh, but I suppose I'm very struck by that Jesus was born into a mess you know he was literally everything about it was a mess God helped them and I, I kind of find a comfort in that, that Jesus was born in a mess and the Christmas message is at its at its best in vulnerability, in the pain, in the hurt, in the questions. It's not in the joy of the carol singers. It's not in the joy of the, the festive joy of everything else, which is wonderful. But the really the people Christmas is for. Uh, especially it's for everyone, but really it's those whose lives are messy, those who are maybe grieving or hurting or struggling or sick or, you know, all those things. Kind of, Jesus wasn't born into the perfection of a castle or, you know, any of those things. So for me, this Christmas, I'm just reflecting on how God came into the mess. And there's no message without the word mess there's no messenger without the word mess 
and there's no Messiah without the word mess. And I suppose, really, if anything, for me, the Christmas message reminds us none of our lives are perfect. Jesus wasn't born into the perfect. He was born into the mess, the imperfect. And, you know, he blesses the mess, the imperfect. And he makes sacred the brokenness and the imperfect nature of our lives because that's what he was born into. And I suppose we live in a world where, like, we're always familiar with the story, there was no room in the inn. But Jesus came anyway. God uh, came anyway. It didn't stop God that there wasn't room. So our lives are often too full as well for this message, for this messenger, for this Messiah. Because we're too busy. Everyone's flat out or preoccupied or so many things to distract ourselves with, good or bad. It didn't stop God then, having no room in the inn. It won't stop God now having no room in our hearts or our lives or whatever. God comes anyway, and he finds a way. And at the end of the day, it's all gift, and it's all grace. And really, love is the gift that lasts forever, you know. So I suppose for me, this Christmas, I know that's where my head is. I often would say I would love to have time and energy to put on a, a blue Christmas mass, because not everyone is joyful at Christmas. And in fact, the vast majority of people at Christmas are missing someone or their struggles are intensified by the seeming joy of those around them. And I'd love to have a place where at Christmas, a special mass for those who are lonely this Christmas, those who are hurting this Christmas, those who are struggling and call it a blue Christmas mass, but actually know that Christ is born into the imperfect into the vulnerability, into the fragility, and light can come into the darkness. So for me, that's where my head is this Christmas uh, and the mess. And I can, if it helps, finish with a poem. And it's just a, po it's a poem called The Magic of Christmas uh, by Tom Krause, but I've adapted it a little. It's joy to the world, the carolers sang out as last-minute choppers scurried about, desperately seeking that one special gift that would give Christmas a magical lift. An old man stood listening to this hopeful song amidst all the madness of the bustling throng. And in a shaky, hoarse voice, he began to join in, singing the words of the famous old hymn. One by one, people stopped with all their madness to join with the old man for a moment of gladness. Before the carolers finished singing their song, the street was united as they all sang along. As if by magic from out of the clear winter sky, church bells rang out from a chapel nearby. And in that joyful moment, they greeted each other, sharing messages of goodwill with one another. That magical lift the shoppers sought for so long was not found in the buying or the scurrying along. That magical gift so desperately sought was the spirit of Christmas, which can never be bought. And I suppose that's the spirit we're all longing and craving for that comes particularly in the, the, the imperfections and the messiness of our lives. And without the mess, there is no message and no Messiah and no messenger. So, but 
And even if our lives are busy, we do need to slow down. But even if our lives are busy and too busy and too hurried and too whatever, overflowing there, we, we try to create room in our hearts, obviously, but God will find his way anyway. God comes anyway. And even as a, a piece of music, I don't have a Christmas piece of music, but there's a piece of music called Slow Down by Nicole Nordman that reminds us what Advent and Christmas tries to remind us to just slow down and allow a bit of space in our hearts and lives for Jesus to be born again. And even if in our fallenness we don't slow down, God, uh, no room in the end didn't stop God, so nothing can stop him, thank God. So that's my wish for you this Christmas uh, and not to, and to remember, particularly those who are broken and hurting, God was born into a mess. So he was born, especially for those of us who might be hurting or feeling blue more than anyone else. Here's to you, you were pink or blue and everything I wanted. Here's to you, never sleeping through midnight till the morning had to crawl before you walked before you ran before i knew it you were trying to free your fingers from my hand because you could do it on your own now somehow slow down won't you stay here a minute more It's all too fast Let's make it last a little while I pointed to the sky And now you wanna fly I am your biggest fan I hope you know I am But do you think you can somehow Slow down to you every missing tooth every bedtime story here's to barbie cars lightsaber wars sleeping in on sunday had to crawl before you walked before you ran before i knew it you were teaching me the only thing love can hold hands through it when it's scary
Okay, so that was Chris O'Donnell giving us his reflection on the messiness of Christmas and the piece of music Slow Down by Nicole Norderman. So the next person we had on to give us uh, our reflection uh, was one of our guests during the year, Julianne Moore. And Julianne, of course, is the General Secretary of the Senate Pathway in Ireland. And she has been a great contributor to the podcast over the last 12 months because of the coverage we have done. And she shares with us her reflections on Christmas and her memories of Christmas and the baking of cakes in particular, which I found very appropriate because baking of cakes is a very large part of the Christmas season in our household as well. And then her uh, her piece of music, which she'll introduce herself, but it's O Little Town of Bethlehem, sung by Trinity College Choir in Cambridge. There has been a long tradition of fruitcake making in my family. My great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, my grandmother and my mother all made wedding cakes for young couples in our hometown of Newbridge in County Kildare. And they all made Christmas cakes as gifts for those near and dear. Nobody seems to want a fruit cake for a wedding cake these days, so the last wedding cake I made was my own, and that wasn't yesterday or the day before that, I can tell you. But I still bake Christmas cakes, and like all those women before me, I bake a lot of them. Traditions are unexpectedly powerful things. For example, I always feel a bit out of kilter and unprepared if I haven't bought all the ingredients for the Christmas cakes by the end of September. I'd make sure the extra pounds of butter, flour and bags of dried fruit were additional purchases within the weekly shop throughout September so I could spread the cost and be ready for the task ahead. For the first few weeks in October, our home fills with the smells of raisins, sultanas, currants, figs and prunes, soaking in a mixture of citruses, spices and whiskey. Creaming the butter and sugar together, I'd have my son measuring out the flour, chopping the glacé cherries, squeezing the oranges or beating the eggs, just as my mother did with me when I was a child and her mother did with her before that. There's a rhythm and a method to lining the tins with tinfoil and greaseproof paper and wrapping them in folded old newspapers so the outside of the cake won't bake quicker than the centre. And of course, I mustn't forget the official ceremony of the licking of the spoon once the mixture was pressed into its expectant tins. Once baked, the Christmas cakes would all be painstakingly wrapped in greaseproof paper and tinfoil, then stacked and stored in the press. They'd be visited fortnightly though, carefully unwrapped, the surface of each cake was varnished with a little measure of whiskey to keep it moist, 
The pledge never interferes with the chef, my grandmother always said, as she would rewrap each cake before its next tipple in a fortnight's time. By the middle of December, all the cakes were taken out and a whole other process would begin. I can remember cakes appearing on every surface in my mother's kitchen each day after school. There was never any shop bought marzipan in our home. The almond paste was made from scratch, rolled out and placed on each cake to dry naturally over the next few days. And the same went for the icing. Bowls and bowls of snow white icing was whisked and built up in layers upon each cake to dry. In the last couple of days, just before Christmas Eve, each cake was decorated with delicate piping or snowy peaks. My mother would let me create the snow-covered peaks by tapping the iced surface of the cakes with the back of an old butter knife. I'd gently pull little alpine peaks into existence, waiting to be adorned with santies and snowmen, sprigs of holly or miniature robins. Then, on Christmas Eve, each cake was wrapped in a luxurious Christmassy ribbon, boxed up, placed in the car, and off we go to deliver our labours of love. All of these rhythms, smells, tastes and tasks flood my senses when I'm making and baking my Christmas cakes. Memories of days gone by and missed loved ones come rushing to the fore. But these are more than memories. They're a remembering are bringing to life the presence and the potency of these instrumental women of my past. It brings them close into my proximity, my present, and influences my here and now and my future. On the 9th of December, the Vatican unveiled its annual nativity scene. This year, the scene in St. Patrick's Square pays special tribute to the origins of the beloved Christmas tradition of a crib. It is 800 years since St. Francis of Assisi created the first ever nativity scene on Christmas Eve in Greccio, Italy. In 1223, just a few years before he died, St. Francis desired so much to represent, remember, the presence and potency of the poverty that our Lord and Saviour was born into, that he recreated the nativity scene in a nearby cave. He invited his fellow friars and all the townspeople of Greccio to join him in this special ritual. Later, he told a friend, I wanted to do something that will recall the memory of that child who was born in Bethlehem, to see with bodily eyes the inconveniences of his infancy how he lay in the manger and how the ox and the ass stood by. So he set up an empty manger inside the cave and dressed it with some yellowy sun-kissed hay. He invited two local people to take the place of Mary and Joseph. Accounts differ as to whether he left the manger empty or placed a wax figurine of the infant Jesus there, but he brought a live ox and a donkey. And through those captivating images, sounds, and perhaps not so fragrant fragrances of livestock, he brought the incarnation close to those gathered all around. There was no distance between the original event in Bethlehem and those sharing in its mystery. St. Bonaventure, 
a contemporary of St. Francis, provides us with an account of the night of this first live nativity scene. He said, the brethren were summoned, the people ran together, the forest resounded with their voices, and that venerable night was made glorious by many and brilliant lights and sonorous psalms of praise. St. Bonaventure goes on to say that Francis stood before the manger, full of devotion and piety, bathed in tears and radiant with joy. He chanted the Holy Gospel and preached about the nativity of the poor king, calling him the babe of Bethlehem. St. Francis's bringing to life and bringing close the first Christmas night became so popular that very soon every church in Italy had its own nativity scene. This Christmas tradition also spread to private homes and institutions, not just initially, but also around the world. Today, it's almost impossible to imagine Christmas without a nativity scene. In his apostolic letter on the Christmas crib, Admirabile Signum, meaning an enchanted image, Pope Francis says, setting up the Christmas crib in our homes helps us to relive the history of what took place in Bethlehem. It touches our hearts and makes us enter into salvation history as contemporaries of an event that is living and real. He says in a particular way, the nativity scene has invited us to feel and touch the poverty that God's son took upon himself in the incarnation. Those generations of women in my family that draw close to me as I sit flower soak fruit and fold in whisked eggs from a recipe written in my great-great-grandmother's handwriting. These are the same women who passed on the tradition of a Christmas crib in our homes. For generations, these women recreated the same wonder and awe in the hearts and on the faces of their children when they took the time to pass on the faith so simply yet so powerfully through the little wooden stables, tiny plaster of Paris figurines, a tinfoil star, some straw and a snowy cotton wool. They took the time to teach us that the Christmas crib was not just another Christmas decoration in our home and they were patient as they glued back dropped figurines we couldn't resist touching and feeling. They took the time to teach us to place Mary and Joseph, the ox and the donkey, and the empty crib first, to later add the newborn Jesus after midnight mass along with the shepherds and the sheep, and to wait until the 6th of January, the Feast of the Epiphany, to add the three wise men. They're the women who took the time to dress us in oversized shirts from our father or grandfather, to dress our heads in checkered tea towels or cardboard crowns, to borrow blue dressing gowns with plaited rope belts and woolly jumpers so we could participate in a centuries-old Catholic tradition of bringing the Christ child close to us and all those gathered in our churches, school halls or classrooms for the Christmas nativity. As I gaze across at the Christmas crib in my home today with a freshly made cup of tea, and a slice of our great-great-grandmother's Christmas cake. I'm reminded of all the times I eagerly waited to set up the manger as a child, 
or hoped to be chosen to place the newborn baby Jesus in his crib. I'm also reminded to continue sharing the simple but powerful traditions with my now adult son and maybe someday my grandchildren. So generations to come might continue to share in the mystery of God who became the babe of Bethlehem in order to let us know how close he is to each of us. In wishing you all a very happy Christmas, I would love to play O Little Town of Bethlehem, having just shared about the babe of Bethlehem that St. Francis so lovingly uh, recreated for those that night in Greccio. I've chosen this piece because I had the honour and the privilege some time ago to visit not only the site of the Nativity, but also the Shepherd's Cave in Bethlehem on the 21st of March, on the day of my birthday, and got the extraordinary opportunity to sing this hymn at that time of the year as we celebrated Mass together as pilgrims on the way. That was uh, Julianne Moran. Delighted to have her back on the podcast. <clears throat> now, our next reflection for Christmas Day here on the podcast, here on Come and See Inspirations, is our 
old parish priest. I was going to say he's our current yeah, parish priest. Yeah. He's our parish, parish priest emeritus, Father Frank Duhigg, who's going to give us his reflection on Christmas and the Christmas message. A Christmas reflection. There was no room for them at the inn. Those words are taken from one of the Gospels read at the Christmas Masses. They are taken from St. Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, and we're all familiar with them. They don't need explanation. They're part of our everyday language. No room for them at the inn. No doubt, if the owners of the inn knew who they were dealing with, they would have quickly found a space. But how were they to know? How could they even have suspected? After all, this couple were from Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come from that place? What a coup it would have been for the inn to have the saviour of the world, the son of God, born in one of their rooms. Born in a stable, the saviour? Strange. But in the light of subsequent events in that saviour's life and teaching, was it really that strange? Maybe not. There was no room for him at the inn. Today's headline-grabbing world be sick at the thought of missing out on that great catch. Imagine that on your advertising brochure. Look at the revenue that would flow from such a coup. Made for life, there would have been. And yet, there is growing evidence that there is still, in many situations, no room for him at the inn. You see, when those very familiar words of Scripture, the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, were spoken, they were not just meant to be applied to the historic moment of the birth of Jesus in that stable in Bethlehem. It was the clear desire of God that Jesus also become flesh in our hearts too, not just in Mary's womb, but also in the inn of our hearts. There is a real sense in which each of us are called to be with Mary, Christ bearers. We too are called to bring Christ forth in the world of our time. Christ desires a birthplace in our hearts, and he desperately needs it in our world today. But is there room for him in the inn of our hearts? Strange that in the build-up to Christmas in recent years, Christ seems to get mentioned less and less. The Feast of Christmas invites us to look into our hearts and ask ourselves how central was Christ to how we built up towards this feast of the birth of our Saviour over the past few weeks? I do not presume the answer you will find to that question. Hopefully, you will find some positive evidence. Certainly, we will find there has been room for him in the end of our hearts every time we put others, especially the poor and the destitute, before ourselves. We must remember that Jesus told us that he had come to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the downtrodden free. 2,000 years ago, there was no room for him 
at the inn. Wouldn't it be such a pity if there was still no room for him at the inn in our world of plenty? But maybe that plenty is the problem. And the piece of music I have chosen, John, to go with that reflection is uh, O Come All Ye Faithful. So now we can listen to Father Derek Leonard, who came into the studio recently and recorded a lovely little reflection on his experience he had whilst he was in Peru a number of years ago. So great to be here. Happy Christmas to everyone. Um, 
and I'm very happy to be invited to give a Christmas reflection. I was thinking about what to speak about, but I love this time of the year because of all the symbols that we use. And uh, I, I love kind of reminding people of why we use these symbols. I think the big symbol that we use this time of the year is the holiday of light with candles. It's the darkest time of the year. And we have Advent reads in our churches and in our homes. Uh, we light a candle each week to remind us of the light of Christ coming into the world. But I just want to, on that theme, I want to share a story that happened to me um, personally over in South America when I was in uh, Lima, Peru. And I was saying an evening mass in a chapel called San Gregorio. Um, and I had a very, very tough day. It was one of those days now where everything was going wrong. People were kind of stressing me out. And when I came to mass that night at eight o'clock and the church was full and I was I started the mass, the one thing going on in my mind that I'm saying to God, I said, you know what? I need a bit of a break. I need a break from people. I need a break from stress. And I think God was listening to me because all of a sudden when I was saying this prayer during the mass, all the lights in the church went out and I was left in complete darkness, only with the two candles on the altar. And I was kind of laughing to myself when I was saying, like, I was thinking to God, like, well, that's not what I was, that, that's not, not what I meant. But I continued to mass in darkness just with the two candles on the altar. And what really kind of struck me was the fact that each time I did a response for the mass, the people responded back to me. So even though I couldn't see them in the darkness and it kind of looked like I was there by myself, I could hear the people praying. And that has really stayed with me because it has always been a reminder to me that we all have our own darkness in life, um, but we're not in it alone, that God is there with us and there is always people praying for us. And I think that theme of the, the light coming into the darkness this Christmas is just very important because in the year that's gone by, we've had a lot of darkness in the world with problems with climate change, with um, violence, with the war in Ukraine, uh, the war in the Holy Land with Palestine and Israel. So when we come to celebrate Christmas this year, it's about celebrating the fact that Jesus is, is, is born. The light is coming back into that darkness. And I think for each one of us as well, we all have our own personal darkness. Where people are kind of living with illness. They're living with depression, with addictions. We all have our own worries. We might have problems with our family or problems in our jobs. But as we come to celebrate the birth of Christ, and the light of Christ coming into the world is a reminder that in that darkness, that God is there. And like those people praying in the, in the darkness, when I was in mass, there is people praying for us and thinking of us and wanting what's best for us. So I hope uh, as we come up to Christmas that when you're with your families or whatever you're going through, that we just keep in mind that Christ, the light of the world, is born and that he's there for us no matter what we're going through. So the piece of music I've picked, I've picked for, for this reason, it's called uh, Come Darkness, Come Light. It's Mary Chapin Carpenter. Um, I saw her down in the INEC in Killarney a few years back. And I love this song because I only came across it recently enough. And the first the verse of it, it says, Come darkness, come light. Come new star shining bright. Come love in this world tonight. Alleluia. And it's a reminder of inviting Christ to not just be born out there will be born in here. So happy Christmas, everyone. Hope you have a happy and a holy Christmas.
Come darkness, come light Come new star shining bright Come love to this world tonight Hallelujah Come broken, come Come wounded in your soul Come any way that you know Alleluia There's a humble stable and a light within There's an angel hovering three wise men Today a baby's born in Bethlehem Alleluia Come doubting, come sure Come fearful to this door Come see what love is for Alleluia Come weary on your broken road Come see him shed your heavy load Alleluia There's a humble stable and a light within There's an angel hovering and three wise men Today a baby's born in Bethlehem Hallelujah. Come darkness, come light. Come new star shining bright. Come love to this world tonight. Hallelujah. Come darkness, come Shining bright Come love to this world tonight Hallelujah There's a humble stable Hallelujah And a light within Hallelujah Today a baby's born So at this point of our podcast, as usual, we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel, not the Sunday Gospel, actually, the Gospel for Christmas Day. Before that, we'll invite Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. 
Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, let our eyes be closed and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel that we're going to read today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. Now at this time, Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census of the whole world to be taken. This census, the first took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria, and everybody went to his own hometown to be registered. So Joseph set out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee and travelled up to Judea, to the town of David, called Bethlehem, since since he was of David's house and line, in order to be registered together with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the countryside close by there were shepherds who lived in the fields and took it in turns to watch their flocks during the night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. Listen, I bring you good news of great joy. A joy to be shared by the whole people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And here is a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly with the angel there was a great throng of heavenly hosts praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest, and peace to men who enjoy his favour. Now when the angels had gone from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried away and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw the child, they repeated what they had been told about him, and everyone who heard it was astonished at what the shepherds had to say. As for Mary, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was exactly as they had been told. So after reading the Gospel for today, we thought it might be appropriate if we play a beautiful piece of music just before going to our reflection section. This piece of music is sung by Alan Jones and it's entitled A Holy Night. Yonder 
That's the gospel passage that we read for this Christmas Day. Shane, we've heard it all before, but I thought you might want to share, please. Well, yes, uh, as we listen to the story of the account from the Gospel of Luke, of course, John, for the Christmas, uh, the Christmas account. It comes from the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which is an interesting one because it mirrors, um, in some respects, it, it, there's a mirror thing going on with the Baptist, John the Baptist and Zachariah and his parents. Um, it's interesting, of course, because <clears throat> Luke very much writes his gospel for the Gentile approach, for the Gentile converts to Christianity, and very much tries to situate it in time and space and history and gives us all the politics and all the rest of it. Now, it's not to say that this is an autobiography or a biography or a history book. It's giving us the gospel situating and trying to get the message across that the incarnation happened in real time, in real space, and and, and that, you know, that happened. So it's this whole discussion about Caesar Augustus and the census and Quirinius and all the rest of it. <clears throat> the census, now the census is an important one because taking a census was exercising control and in, ter- in particular for the context of the taking the taxes. And obviously it signified the control of the emperor, um, Caesar, over the Holy Land uh, and and very much would have been against the tradition of, of you know, the only king in Ye- was Yahweh. Um, <clears throat> and then we enter into, we bring it down out of the, 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 high, the, high, the high lofty heights of politics 
and down into Jesus sets out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee and traveled up to Judea to the town of David called Bethlehem since he was of David's house and line in order to be registered with Mary who's betrothed who was with child. Now interesting thing there of course is the whole connection with the house of David which of course is very much fulfilling the prophecies that had been made and the promises that Yahweh had made to David and to Solomon and that but again it's you've gone from one extreme to the other you've gone from the lofty heights of Caesar Augustus to this unknown little family that had to travel up to Bethlehem to register for tax um you know and very much kind of putting it out there that the intervention of God into history wasn't done with loud bang and noise and with the powerful was very much on the side of the poor and the downtrodden. And may, while they're there, of course, Mary comes to have to her child. And she gave birth to a son, her firstborn, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Now, I have to say, John, <clears throat> the expression no room for them at the inn jumped out at me this week because mm. um, people, well, Irish listeners will probably be aware of this, but non-Irish listeners may not ha- realise we have a slight problem in Ireland at the moment of a growing vocal minority of anti-immigrants, racist, xenophobes, whatever you want to call them. And one of the lines they're trotting out is Ireland is full and the inn is full. And that was a comment that was made by one of our public representatives, actually, after an incident during the week in which a hotel was burnt down. And for me, I just it struck me so hard in the solar plexus, it struck me in the gut, you know, that expression that the inn is full. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know what, guys, you're kind of missing the point of yep. the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are some people in, in, in who stand up and say, well, you know, Ireland is for the Irish and it's for Christian and all this kind of palaver. And very much, you know, using that kind of language <clears throat> and then turn around and saying, well, the inn is full. The inn was full for Jesus and Mary and Joseph because that was the decision of the innkeeper because these were people that were on the margins that were cast out that weren't rich or powerful and were basically turned away from door to door and the only place that they could end up was in the place where we kept the animals Mm. and it says something to us that those of us who are Christian and profess Christ as Lord and King and Saviour need to think stand back and think about that again and say oh the inn was full for Christ. Mm. Does that not say something to us in terms of our responsibilities to those that come knocking on the doors of our country looking for help and assistance? Mm-hmm. You know, because the reminder, I suppose, is Jesus was a Jew. The Holy Family were refugees. Jesus was a refugee. Mary was a refugee. Joseph was a refugee. They were driven out of the Holy Land, driven to Egypt is what the tradition holds for us. In for exile for a number of years, yeah. you know, and it's that whole thing. So when we turn around and we see migrants today, as Christians, the calling for us is to ask ourselves the question, 2,000 years ago, the saviour of the world was born as a migrant. Mm-hmm. The saviour mm-hmm. of the world was mm-hmm. born as a refugee mm-hmm. of a single mother. Yeah. Technically, yeah. Mary was a single mother. They were betrothed, but they were not wed. She was a single mother who could have faced stoning for the fact that she was pregnant if Joseph had gone through with the divorce according to the Gospel of St. Matthew. True. You know, she was pregnant with a single mother outside marriage. Yes, we still have people standing on their high horses today telling us that to be, you know, that this is against our Christian culture and our Christian nature. I say to people, you have missed the whole point of the story, my friends. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. this day and age, when we look across and around the world, 
we are all human beings. We have all got a responsibility to look out for each other and a responsibility. You don't have to root it in scripture. You do not have to root it in religious life. You root it in the fact that we are all human and we have a responsibility to each other. No man is an island. You know, the time came for her to have her child and she gave birth to her son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. No room at the inn for the saviour of the world. In this day and age, in this, in many of our countries, we cannot turn around and say that. We have an obligation to ask ourselves the question. You go to Mass on Christmas Eve. You go to Mass on Christmas Day. You put yourself in front of the crib and ask yourself the question, where would you be but for the saviour of the world? Yep. That is the thing that we need to think. One of the things we need to think about. But then, I suppose, and that's the challenge, I think, for the Christmas story. Because it's a bit sanitised, we're used to the kids doing it in the nativity play. It's all cherubs and angels and lightness. And, you know, there was nothing light and light about it. No. You know, the child was laid in a manger, in a stall for an animal. You know, there's no two ways around it. If you think about it, all the situations where mothers are giving birth at the moment on the borders of Chad and Sudan, where people have been driven out of West Darfur. If you think about the mothers giving birth in the darkness of the attacks in Gaza at the moment. If you think about women who do not have medical assistance in Afghanistan because of the Taliban and the impositions that have been put on them there. If you think about the women of Ukraine, who particularly in the east of the country are giving birth in the midst of a war without proper medical assistance. They are like the Virgin Mary. They are the modern Marys of the modern world who are giving birth and whose child ends up in a manger. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing about that as Christians? In the countryside, there were the shepherds. Now, I like, I I always, not that I like, I suppose the idea of the shepherds and investigating and reflecting and praying over the, the story of the shepherds because the gospel very much in Christmas Day is the gospel of the shepherds living in the fields and took it in turns to watch their flocks. And we have that lovely, you know, oh, shepherds watch their, watch their flocks by night and, you know, all the rest of it. And, so, you know, the kids will say, well, wash their socks by night and so on and so forth. But, you know, <clears throat> but the whole point, of course, is the shepherds were on the margins. They were out on the outskirts of both society, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, by virtue of their jobs, basically because they stank. Let's yeah. be honest about yeah. it, right? Yeah. They were looking after the sheep. There's no, and there is a reason, you know, the father, or Pope Francis used the concept of the smell of the sheep. You know, sheep stink. Let's be honest about it, right? Yeah. Um, but they were on the margins, right? But they were the first to whom the good news was proclaimed. They were the first to whom the angel appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around. And, the, and they were terrified, obviously. Wouldn't you be? You know, and the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you news of great joy, a new a joy to be shared by the whole people. Do not be afraid. The message of Christmas is one of the one of the messages of Christmas is not to be afraid in a world of trauma and upset and darkness. When we look around the world today, it can seem like a very dark, depressing place. But the reminder to us is over 2000 years of Christian history, We have gone through this before and we have come out the other side because we have people of faith. We are people of hope. If you think about the candles that were lit for Advent, it's joy, hope, faith, 
I can't remember, peace or the fourth one. You know, the messages of Christmas, the message of Advent, the recall to us. And the angel the, the angel appeared to the shepherds. Again, that emphasis on going out to those who are not important. If you think about it, the angels appeared to the shepherds, not to Caesar Augustus. Look at the way that Luke has constructed his account of the of the of the gospel that we are reading on this Christmas day. Do not be afraid. <clears throat> Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And there is a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You know, signs and symbols. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves two things, I suppose, that come to me there. First of all, signs and symbols, we have become almost blind to them in the modern world. Despite the fact we have icons and symbols and all the rest on our magic devices we have lost touch with the greater signs of the world and the universe around us. When was the last time you stood out in your yard, turned off the light and looked up at the stars? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you were up early enough perhaps to notice the red sky in the morning? Mm-hmm. You know, when was the last time you paid attention to the murmuration of spar- starlings over your head that you had the time to pay attention to the world around us and what it was telling us? You know, Listening and looking at all the drama recently about cops, COP28 or whatever it was called. And you were sitting there and you're asking to yourself, what does this mean for people whose houses have washed away yeah. in Somalia recently? Mm. After five years of a drought, they got enough water to drown their villages. They went from one extreme to the other. And it's interesting that the angel asks and says, we have signs that this is the sign that's given to the shepherds in terms of the fulfillment of the promise that was given to them great promises of Isaiah, the great, great promises of Amos, the great, great promises of Malachi, the prophets. And it's the child, the simplicity, the innocence of a child, that sometimes we forget what it means. We've had the inbreaking of God into, into human history. The God that we associate, you know, the, the man in the clouds with the beard and the omnipotence and knows everything and all the rest of it, Yes, those are symbols and words we use to try and conceptualize the God, the, what a God is for us. But from a Christian point of view, the miracle of Christmas is this inbreaking of God into our very lives. We have, you know, the gospel on <clears throat> Sunday, yesterday was the gospel of the Annunciation uh, for the fourth Sunday of Advent. And it's very much kind of the gentle question is one of consent to Mary that she gives her fiat, she gives her yes God has spoken and Mary has accepted. Um, but, you know, it's at the same time we have to remind ourselves this little child was born of a young girl in her womb and that all the humanity of Jesus comes from his mother, if you think about it. There was no father. It was a miracle. It was the Immaculate mm-hmm. Conception. So the humanity of Jesus comes from his mother. You know, and we should remember that and remind ourselves that the God has inbuilt, has inbroken into our existence in time and space and history. 2,000 years ago, this human being walked in Palestine. And suddenly with the angel, there was a great throng of the heavenly host praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace to men who enjoy his favor. It's the beginning of the of the Gloria, the Gloria in Excelsis Deo that we have in our Mass. Ooh. And the Gloria is actually the Christmas hymn. The, um, when it was originally inserted into the Mass, it was actually inserted for the Mass of Christmas. Um, but then it you know, was kept generally for all the Masses. 
And it's that wonderful idea <clears throat> of all the cosmos is replying to um, to to this idea of 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 go- of the God of creation, the God, the Creator of the whole universe, has been born to us here on Earth. <clears throat> when the angels had gone, the shepherds said to another, "Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened." And they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. They repeated what they had been told, and everyone who heard it was astonished. As for Mary, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, praising, glorifying God for all they'd seen and heard. It was exactly as they had been told. Two things that always strike me about that particular section of the Gospel of Luke. One is the example of Mary. She pondered all these things in her heart. And that model is always put before us in terms of us allowing for space to be able to ponder the things of God. We often talk about here on the on the podcast, John, about the space, making space for the encounters with the divine. That's the expression that we use. And it's again, it's that whole idea of creating that space and time, but also letting it work. Let it percolate through like water through stones. Let it percolate through like chlorophyll through a plant, through the leaves of a tree. Let it percolate through like the sunlight through dappled leaves in a summer. You have to allow space for yourself to pause and reflect, to meditate is another term. Like meditatio is the term we would use in Lexio Divina. But I suppose the whole idea of being able to take the gospel that's given to us, the gospel that we're so familiar with, that you could read it all, you could almost recite it from memory because you've heard it so many times and ask ourselves, what does each of the lines mean? How do we respond to it? What way do we think about it? What way does it speak to us today? The gospel of 2000 years ago, of the events of 2000 years ago, is not just a historical novel or romance or something that happened in the past. It's putting forward before us today a particular question. What is it saying to us now? So in terms of Mary's example, pondering these things in her heart, do we do that? Do we allow things to percolate through? Because in the modern world, we are losing the ability to do that. The ability to sit, it's, it, there's, I don't know how many statistics there are to show that people's attention span is being eroded by the modern internet age. The ability to sit, to read, to reflect is being compromised. We expect instant gratification with dopamine hits, you know. So the idea of that whole tradition of pondering something, reflecting on something, slowly reading and digesting it, be it scripture, be it poetry, something like that, you know, having ourselves open to it. Where are we? Where are you and I with that? And finally, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was exactly as they had been told. I remember a couple of years ago, John, when we were doing the Christmas the, the Christmas podcast, <clears throat> Christmas radio program as it was then. And I remember Lorraine was with us at the time and she making the point, we have the responsibility to be like the shepherds and tell the story of Christmas. Mm. The shepherds didn't just come, see and leave again. They told everyone that they encountered what they had seen, what they had heard, what it meant. And that, I suppose, is the thing for us. In the midst of all the hustle and bustle of Christmas, do we tell of the glory of God and the joy of what we have seen? Shane, thank you very much, Nate, for that. 
a beautiful reflection. Thank you very much, Dave, for that. The, the two things that I, I, I would actually cross my mind, and you mentioned them there, was again that that, that whole idea about the inn, you know, and the idea that um, uh, maybe as all something for us to take away with this week, how often do we close the door of our inn to those who would need us to give them a lift in life? And the second thing, and again, the same thing, the, uh, the idea that the shepherds came to me too, as, as Shane said, uh, they went back glorifying and praising God was the idea they came to me. And I had to ask myself, and maybe we should all ask ourselves, how often do we give thanks and praise to God for all the gifts we've been given, especially that on this Christmas day we're invited to spend some special time at the manger with Jesus to realize that he's come to save us and save the world. So again, that debate brings us to the end of our Christmas podcast. Thanks a lot indeed, Shane, for, for sharing there with me. And of course, all of our guests who, who, who shared with us um, during this particular uh, Christmas Day podcast. So to finish off, Shane, you've got a piece of music you'd like to share. Yes, John. So <clears throat> so going out this week, uh, on this 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 Christmas morning, <clears throat> I, decide, I I asked John if we could play a particular piece of music and he, 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 he graciously of course, of said yes. <laughs> As you do. As you do. <laughs> so actually, it's a piece of music from A Family Christmas, which is from Matteo, Andrea and Virginia Bocelli. So that's Andrea Bocelli, the opera singer, and his son and his daughter, Matteo and Virginia. And it's a Bocelli, a family Christmas and it's a fabulous little Christmas album I got it last year it's only about 45 minutes in total for all the pieces on it but the piece we're playing this morning as we exit out on this Christmas Day podcast with a huge thanks to all of our contributors uh, is Joy to the World So enjoy the day and we'll speak to you again next week in the meantime God bless now Bye Wonders of his love, the wonders of his love, the wonders.
heaven and nature sing. 